You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. How do you like your coffee? <laughs> Black and decaf. Well, a de- he's yeah. a decaf guy, really. Yeah, okay. yeah. Had to give up caffeine. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you how you like your coffee. You're gonna iced coffee or hot coffee on a hot day like this? I'd still drink a hot cup. Yep. Hot. I'm a weirdo. I am uh, from Arizona originally too, so that really. Is a, what are you doing in Minnesota? <laughs> that's a good question. Fair how'd question. You, how'd you get here? Did you get a wife that brought you here, or what? Um, wife that kept me here, but uh, I grew up playing ice hockey in Tucson, Arizona, and so by the time I was 12, my parents were driving me 100 miles each way five times a week and after two years of doing that I think they thought it was cheaper and easier to send me away so they uh, sent me to uh, Shattuck St. Mary's in Faribault. You're a Shattuck guy? Yep. I went to Austin Bocelli. Oh nice. Okay. Oh yeah so yeah, that's part played. of that's part of the Central Catholic Conference. Yeah we played you in tennis. You guys probably killed us in tennis. Oh, yeah but you're, you're you're not nearly as old as I am but I, <laughs> there was a time back in the mid-70s when the Central Catholic Conference was a big deal. Really? Big private, that was the private schools in Minnesota, Catholic schools, Dean of Sal, um, Lourdes, yep. Loyola, yeah, yeah, town of Marion, yep. Austin Michelli. We played all those schools in the in the smaller sports. Yeah, they don't let Shattuck play high schools in hockey, right? It's right, yeah. Them. Yeah, when we played hockey, it was just like random teams that we would play. We didn't play the... The Lourdes are awesome Pacellis. Welcome to Austin Thielen's podcast, Over Coffee. We're happy today to have attorney uh, Zach Wiegand, who is a lawyer. He went to William Mitchell Law School, and he's been practicing for about 12 years. He has his own firm, specializes in estate planning only. And today we're going to talk with uh, Zach and Adam Thielen, who is uh, one of our partners here at Olson Thielen, and he leads our estate and trust group. And this is a pretty important topic. It's very um, timely. There's a lot of generational wealth changing hands. But first, Zach, do you want to add anything to your introduction? Oh, geez, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think the important piece for uh, folks who are listening to know is that this is my primary practice area, so I, I don't do criminal law or family law or anything else. I'm not just dabbling in estate planning. Uh, this is my bread and butter. It's what I do all day, every day. Awesome. So um, I want to just tell a quick story before we get started. This estates and trusting is really important, but I just want to tell just a quick story. So once upon a time, there was a little old grandma, and um, she just died in 2022. And prior to that, for the 10 years, she was using the gifting provisions and avoided some Minnesota taxation. And uh, while she was doing that, she was able to avoid about $105,000 of taxes. She had five kids and gave away typically about 14 k each. So she was able to avoid about 105000 in Minnesota tax because of Minnesota exemptions. And then once upon a time back in about 10 years ago when her husband died, they did a family, I think it's called the Family Trust, and they used the full Minnesota exemption, and that was about 950 at the time. 
and they were able to, about a million dollars, they were able to avoid about $150,000 of tax on that play as well. So all in, about $255,000 from a very um, fairly modest family from the southern Minnesota area, a longtime clients of mine. And uh, it was really easy to do. Didn't take a lot of money, didn't take a lot of technical advice, but it just took the dad some time to ask some simple questions and to trust some people. So I want to get our listeners an idea that sometimes this gets really complex and advanced, and sometimes it's just a simple play. And 255000 to the family is pretty significant. Now, this little old grandma still played tax in Minnesota, and um, that's um, unavoidable. So with that, so I want to start with Zach. So what do you think now? I mean, you're working with these state and trust folks. When you uh, are working with clients, what what would you tell us as constitutes a pretty well-designed estate plan? Do you have any essential documents or what age should somebody be talking about this with you? What what does this look like on the front end? Yeah, it's uh, a good question. So I, I think when you think about what constitutes a well-designed estate plan, it really is going to depend on the client. You know, there's not one uh, uh, one size fits all solution for every family, right? Uh, every uh, situation is a little bit different. And so uh, by working with an estate planning attorney, you're going to dive into what the objectives are for the client and whether it's avoiding probate or minimizing taxes. From there, the attorney's job is to make sure that that happens. And so a well-designed estate plan is an estate plan that uh, uh, accomplishes the client's goals and also makes the client feel like their goals are accomplished during their life because at the end of the day, you're not going to know whether your plan uh, accomplishes your goals because you won't be around. And so, you know, I suppose for every client, it's different. Maybe somebody wants yeah. to do gifting, legacy funding, someone wants to make sure the grandkids have money. Uh, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, just as a curiosity, Adam Thielen, um, the Minnesota and the federal exemptions. Now, give us a little history on what's happened with the tax law. It went back to, was it 20? 2017, there was a change in the federal exclusion. It essentially doubled from what it was. So currently for 2023, the federal lifetime gift and estate exclusion is $12.92 million. Um, and this is indexed for inflation, so it's going to go up here um, each year up until 2025, at which point those 2017 provisions expire, and there's what people are referring to as a sunset on that exclusion. So people are projecting that it would be cut in half um, indexed for inflation. That's probably around 6 to $7 million after 2025. And that was the law back in 2017. Right? Yeah. So it's going to reset. Exactly. And I think as we know from the tax law, how the, the depends on the political winds, how they blow, whether that'll get done or not. It's always, um, are there anything on the, on the horizon like this reset that we should be aware of? I mean, so from a federal estate tax side, so what a lot what we're instructing a lot of our clients with a good amount of wealth to do is try to use up that exclusion that's available to them uh, during this time period. Um, because what the IRS has come out and said is there would be no real clawback uh, once that exclusion cuts in half. So 
it's kind of a use it or lose it situation right now if the sunset does occur after 2025. So the folks with enough money to gift away $12 million, we're instructing them to get with their estate planning attorney to come up with a plan before 2025. I don't think we want Zach working till the the midnight of 1231, 2025, trying to design these plans. So it's good to get out in front of this uh, before that year. We hate these last minute deadlines. I mean, Adam and I both are in total agreement with that. So you know what the run-up of the stock market over the last, well, six months or the last 10, 10 years, there's been a lot of wealth created and that's going to be moving down. Now might be an interesting time to do that. Um, let's, uh, so, so that horizontal thing, that's the reset. In Minnesota, there's no reset on the horizon, is there? No. So for Minnesota purposes, the the estate exclusion is $3 million, and it's been fixed at that for a number of years here. There's no plans that I've seen about indexing that for inflation. I think there has been talks about reducing that at some point. Um, but Minnesota does not have a separate gift tax um, like the federal side of things um, have. So what Minnesota does for gift tax purposes is it claws back taxable gifts made within three years of a decedent's passing. So when I talk about taxable gift, there's an amount each year called an annual exclusion that you can gift up to before you reach that taxable gift. So we right now the annual exclusion amount is 17000 So if you were to give away 20000 to any one individual and die within three years of that, $3,000 of that gift would be clawed back into your gross estate. Okay, so there's, and have you had a lot of history with audits on Minnesota? So in my experience over the past year, couple of years, um, we do get probably more notices from Minnesota on estate tax purposes than the IRS. Um, I, they do tend to um, make sure that you have good support for the values that you're using for estate tax purposes. So um, I would say comparatively to the IRS, we probably see a little bit more of Minnesota. At this okay. point. All right. All right. So let me ask uh, Zach a question because I'm sure that a lot of people come to you and they arrive at your desk and they might discover that they've um, they've been put into a, in charge of an estate, they're an executor or they've become a personal representative. Do you have any advice for those people as to what they should be looking for to find the right person or, you know, they're maybe shell-shocked. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a brother. They don't really know what to do. What what's their first conversation with you? Uh, so the first conversation for someone who's been appointed as an executor, a trustee after someone has passed away, you know, usually it's it is a little bit of a shell shock, I think, for the family, and um, they'll come in uh, if assuming the trustee is a family member, even um, if that is the case, they they might be a little bit shell shocked. There might be some uh, emotions. There might be some family dynamics going on. Um, and you're also expected at that time to all of a sudden become a, a proficient in filing paperwork and obtaining death certificates and all sorts of logistical things. Um, and so that, that first conversation is just kind of orienting the family with what the next steps are as far as collecting assets, any kind of tax return filings that might need to be on their radar. I try and get that on their radar early on uh, so that they're not calling Adam at the last minute at uh, 10 minutes to midnight. 
And then, uh, you know, it's also looking at what documents the person had in place and figuring out what the next steps are uh, logistically as far as distribution of assets uh, as well. So just kind of give them a little comfort and that, you know, maybe there's a checklist you probably work off of or there's a process, I'm sure. For sure. Yep, that's a detailed checklist. So that's on the document stuff. And then, so Adam, what do you find? So when, when Zach calls and says, oh, by the way, I need your help on this estate, what do you find is, you know, when you're first brought into the estate, what does the timeline look like to, to navigate these filings or kind of what's the, what's the time calendar look like? Yeah. So kind of like what Zach had stated, um, I really like to try to get out in front of uh, informing the personal rep of what tax compliance um, are coming up. The main one that I try to get out there uh to recognize it first is the estate tax filing deadline. That's due within nine months of death. So nine months seems like a long period, but actually it goes pretty quickly, especially after somebody were to pass. There's a grieving process usually, and you know, you don't necessarily always want to turn your attention to these administrative matters. But typically I like to lay out uh, what's coming up and then um, of course, take a look at the balance sheet to determine what filings we have. I'm getting a good handle on the assets and how they're titled gives us a good guide to determine what um, compliance items we have. We could have an estate tax return if it's over $3 million. And of course, there's the decedent's final individual return that's due, same due date, so 415 in the year after death. And then there could be estate income tax returns that come into play at a little bit of a later point. We typically try to use fiscal year ends if we can on those so that they kind of push out into the future as much as possible. But there is flexibility around that as well. So my, my experience has been that, you know, you have the decedent the uh, dies in uh, March 31st. They have the first three months of income, Social Security investments. And then it, while the assets are kind of in flux, that is taxed on the estate income tax return, right? right? And maybe there's dividends. Maybe there's maybe there's probably no pension. There's no Social Security because they get turned off, but there's probably dividends. Maybe there's some capital gain distributions, and so there's some stuff. Mm-hmm. And typically, I think, do you guys advise the uh, executor or the administrator to kick out those assets as soon as you discover what you have? So depends on the size of the estate. Um, typically, if we have an estate tax filing, you'd want to make sure that that's filed and you're on your way to a, receiving a closing letter before you distribute all the assets out. Um, but I think what you're maybe referring to is, so for that intermediary period, the estate income tax return, they have compressed income tax brackets. So we typically like to at least get the income out of the estate if possible so that um, that income flows out to the beneficiaries to be taxed at their personal tax rates where um, the brackets are a little bit more friendly than the estate income tax. And it's kind of tricky sometimes because when those when that income goes out to multiple beneficiaries, everybody's in a different tax spot. Right. So you may have um, you know a daughter or a son that is uh, working and they have a high income tax rate, and you may have somebody who's retired and they're so it. I don't think you can serve all masters. I think you just do what you do and kind of let it go. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a no-brainer because that estate income tax return hits the top rate around $14,000 of income. So naturally, an individual is going to pay a little bit less tax even if they're in the um, highest bracket based on, you know, the brackets running up a little bit higher. So.
So that's kind of the process, that the first meeting, the timeline. Talk to me a little bit about what's about this word probate. Some people are afraid of probate sometimes. What does that mean when someone goes through a probate? Yeah, probate is a legal process designed to make sure that the rightful heirs uh, are the ones who are inheriting the assets of the person who passed away. And so at its core, probate's actually a pretty good thing I mean, when you think about it in those terms, uh, but uh, and, and it serves its purpose in case, uh, cases like the Prince case, uh, where you know, you've got this really famous musician with a really large uh, estate and all these people coming out of the woodwork claiming to be his uh, child or children. Uh, the court is designed to sift through all of that and figure out the right people to distribute the assets to. So at its core, it's a really good process, but it gets a bad rap because of all of the uh, costs associated with it and how long it takes to get through the probate process. Um, you can look uh, anywhere from a few thousand dollars to millions and tens of millions of dollars for uh, the Prince case. Uh, and then also the time that it takes can be as quick as seven months, which is not quick, but as long as the, things like the Prince case where it is years. And my understanding is that it's transparent, right? So everything is an open court and it's all public filing. So if Prince had, you know, a real estate in Hawaii, everybody would know that. Exactly. Yeah. You have to file an inventory disclosing all of your assets. So one way to avoid probate is what? Um, well, the most common way to avoid probate uh, for folks who work with an attorney like myself is a revocable trust. Uh, and uh, a revocable trust is, you think of it like a box. You just create the box while you're living. You put your assets into the box, and then you have uh, a legal document that describes who's going to receive the assets in your box uh, when you pass away. I think if I recall from my college legal day, legal training, they said you step into the shoes of the decedent. Is that true? Sort of? Um, a little bit. A little Conceptually. I mean, the administrator can get in there and they can write checks, they can uh, sell assets, they can transfer, they get some kind of immediate distribution powers, don't they? do they not? Yeah, so I, I see what you're saying. So uh, they step into the shoes of the decedent in the sense that they're holding the assets of the decedent uh -huh. uh, for the benefit of someone else right. uh, called the beneficiary. But for ease of administration, it works pretty well, doesn't it? Very much. Right. In like... In a non well, in a probate situation, you typically have to wait to get a personal representative appointed until that till they're able to access the funds to pay bills and of the estate and whatnot. So I've seen in cases where somebody that is waiting for appointment is paying bills personally because there's no funds available for them to pay. the The revocable trust process makes that a little bit easier um, because you're not waiting on the court to act. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys like this irrevocable trust concept? I mean, Adam Thiel, what do you think? Yeah, I think it um, it really depends on the level of the estate. I think in some cases a will is just fine or des beneficiary designations are just fine. But if there's a decent amount of money, I think a revocable trust makes a lot of sense to ease the administration process. So, And if my recollection is that, and we'll, you can, I'll ask you in a minute, but if you forget to put an asset in there, does that have to go through a probate if it's not have a beneficiary on it? Yeah, so I think that's one of the 
misnomers on the revocable trust uh, setup. I think, you know, people do the good work to get the document drafted, but they don't end up putting everything in to that revocable trust. And then in that case, you have the cost of setting up that revocable trust, but you still have probate. Um, I think Minnesota has a a rule right now is if you die with $75,000 in your name, um, you can do what's called a small estate affidavit to collect that, but anything above that in your name would open up the probate process, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. So uh, anything above 75000 if it doesn't transfer automatically, meaning there's no beneficiary designated, then that would cause a probate. So details matter. I mean, completeness. I tell taxpayers that way, you know, completeness matters. What do you think about the the trust? Yeah, a, a trust is a, a great tool, but uh, as Adam mentioned, if if you don't fund it, it's not worth the paper that it's written on. And uh, Michael Jackson is a, a great example of of a celebrity who did, created a trust and didn't fund it, and uh, the court battle uh, that ensued lasted years. Wow! Um, so it's uh, critical to not only create a trust but uh, fund it as well. If so, so good planning makes a difference. Uh, having the the um, the decedents or the the I guess the decedents have an organized estate, uh, documents in place, completeness, kind of some thought. You know, is there any uh, age where it's too early to start thinking about this stuff? I mean, obviously you're not going to do it as maybe a 30 year old, but maybe you are. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I uh, so the second someone turns 18 in the United States. Uh, you have a right to privacy, and so a lot of parents will send their kids off to college and uh, think that they can call up the school and get the transcripts and get the health records and all this stuff and quickly realize that uh, 18 is the right age for their children to start doing some estate planning. Uh, so there's, you know, it, it doesn't usually happen that early, but uh, if you have something that is important to you, you... you uh, you love uh, someone or you have assets that are important uh, to you, what happens to them upon your death, I think that's the right time to start thinking about this stuff. And you, you'll know when the right time is for you because it'll be on your mind constantly before you call me. A, a good gift from parents is to have a have an organized estate. Yeah. I've seen it happen and, and lived through it myself. So it's it's a real it's a real gift at the end. Um, so I look... We're, we're, we're cruising right along here, and I want to ask Adam Thielen to talk to me a little bit about what are some things a taxpayer could do to save money on the estate tax down the line? I mean, we're talking about compliance, the timeline, kind of some of the documents, what to do on that first meeting. How do you save money on the estate tax? What do you do here? Yeah, so I think, you know, in your situation um, that you referred to previously, there was a setup where you carved out the Minnesota exemption as of the first spouse's death. I think that's a good way to save some estate tax down the line. Um, like I mentioned before, um, right now for our larger estates or larger um, individuals right now, we're really trying to get them to gift up to that exclusion amount to lock in uh, the larger exclusion before it reverts down. That's a uh, tax saver down the line for them. Um, one of the misnomers that is that everyone uh, kind of thinks that life insurance is uh, not taxable. Well, it is free from income tax, but it is a part of an estate if owned by the decedent. So one way that you could uh, maybe save some tax is to place that life insurance policy in what's called an irrevocable life insurance trust that is out of your estate. So 
that could take a gift um, of that policy into the islet, uh, but typically the the islet's value is not what the face value is. Um, so um, you would have some savings there um, if you were to decide to create that irrevocable life insurance trust. Um, another item is we always remind um, individuals with enough wealth that they should be taking advantage of those annual exclusion gifts. So you, like I mentioned before, you can give up to $17,000 to any one individual, and that turns into $34,000 for um, a joint couple. So you can pass a pretty significant amount of wealth uh, just on annual exclusion gifts, and those don't require gift tax returns, so you don't even have to pay us to uh, do an additional gift tax return. Yeah, and then I guess if you are a part of an entity um, and you want to try to um, transfer that entity down, one good way to do that would be through gifting and taking advantage of discounting. Um, so whether it's uh, control discounts or marketability discounts, there may be a way to chip away at the value of your ownership in that entity um, through gifting. Um, it could uh, require a evaluation um, to do that, but um, I've seen a lot of people pass wealth that way to their heirs that they envision working in the business going forward. You know, on the discounts there, it, that's, it's kind of a uh, art as much as, as a science, and so there's some discretion um, I don't remember the case locally. Was it the grocery store that had the big cons? Uh, cons they had a conflict over discounts. I think it was those the Lunds. The, the Lunds, yeah. The Lunds, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. It, it it happens. And so and that was on a big scale in the public news, but on even on a smaller basis, if you're a business owner with a closely held stock, you can you can avoid some uh, value legally and right. totally lawfully. Right. All right. So. Let me uh, let me ask this question. And um, so, what are some of the things that you run into with family issues? And and Zach, you know, you probably see the siblings go at it. Who knows what? What do you? What do you? Are there some techniques to help get through all that? Um. Well, so early in my career, I I did handle some litigation cases and uh, would negotiate settlements and things like that. And I'm I'm kind of getting away from that in my practice these days. And referring a lot of those cases to attorneys who specialize in uh, trust and estate litigation. But having said that, uh, you know, if you find yourself in litigation already, you know, just keeping in mind the fact that the longer that you're in it, the attorneys are the ones who are billing and uh, picking away at the estate. And the quicker you can get yourself out of it, even if it means swallowing your pride, um, I think is an important thing to remember. So, who would what would you litigate in the state? Like one sibling doesn't get the same as the other, or yeah, usually it would arise in the context of uh, maybe one sibling is getting forty percent and the other one's getting thirty percent, and uh, just before dad died, uh, the sibling who's getting forty percent took dad to an estate planning attorney and changed the will or something like that. So. Um, you know, people will fight over whether mom or dad had the capacity to to execute the legal document, whether they were uh, a victim of fraud or duress, um, and so there's various different grounds for challenging an estate uh, estate plan, uh, and so there are attorneys who specialize in that out there. Yeah, and I would say uh, I also see um, sometimes the siblings maybe not trusting the personal rep to do their job appropriately. So they maybe sometimes really look into, you know, where the funds have been spent and, you know, you shouldn't have done this, should have done 
done this. Um, I think I've seen a lot of that come up. And I think it's just important to engage the right people to help you with the estate administration process so that you can kind of be bulletproof on those type of allegations. Kind of a shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah, and I, I would even add to that. Um, in um, most cases, you want to be as transparent as possible. Yeah, I would think transparency is a big deal. And if you have, if you do it fairly, there's nothing to, there's nothing right. to hide. Right. right. So I think we're, we're coming up on our, our end. If we, we don't want to keep our listeners too long because the coffee's probably gone. Who knows? We need to get more. But any last words on the value? Adam Thielen, I'll start with you. What do you think? This well, estates and trusting. What was what should our listeners remember? I think uh, if you're going to remember anything from this, I think you know having a well-designed estate plan can really ease the family tension around a uh, uh, mother or father's passing. I think it can make things go pretty smooth and um, hopefully keep you talking to your siblings at, at the end of the day. Yeah, I would think that there's sometimes um, ill ill will at the end right. if somebody is treated a little differently. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people avoid this topic because it's uncomfortable. You know, no one wants to think about the fact that we're all going to die, and uh, no one wants to think about paying taxes and all that stuff. And so people drag their feet on this. And my advice would just be uh, if you're wanting to make it easier on your family, take the step. Go talk to an attorney. Even if the cost is uh, a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, it will be way less than what it will cost your family to get through everything after you're gone, financially and emotionally. Um, and I think it's better to just address these things up front. So, like, and like I say, when I when we opened the podcast here, to, the the little old grandma, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in tax savings, some very simple planning. Yeah. My my final thought for our listeners might be. What a gift for the parents to give their children a clean, organized estate that has some direction from the the remaining, either mom or dad, this is how I want it to be. Yeah. And because the kids may not know, and they may have, one child may have a better relationship with mom or dad, but if the parents give them some clear direction and it's organized, what a gift. Right. Yeah. Well, thank, hey, Zach. Uh, thanks for coming in. It's, all, it's always good to see you. I understand you're doing uh, some good business with some of our partners, Adam and Mike and Nate, yep. and we appreciate that. We appreciate your support. Adam Thielen, you have greeted a great group here at Olson Thielen, and the practice is growing fast, isn't it? Yeah, we're very busy right now. So. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, well, with th- that, I, I think we're, we're, we're good to go. Awesome. Thanks all for right. having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A Over Coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.